From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode number 91. Today's special episode is brought to you by MailRoute and FreshBooks. My name is Mike Hurley. I have the pleasure of being joined on this beautiful holiday day by Mr. Jason Snell. Hi, Mike. This is our, it's our uh, holiday episode. So in the United States, mm-hmm. we're releasing this on Memorial Day, mm-hmm. which is uh, which is the last Monday in May. I believe it's defined that way. Uh, and uh, that's uh, it apparently stems from the Civil War. I looked this up. It's a holiday to, re- uh, to recognize uh, the people who died in wars. Uh, we also have a holiday to recognize people who served in the military. That's Veterans Day, but this is Memorial Day. Um, and in the UK, you crazy kids, you just put holidays at the end of May and call them because of the banks. Is it to honor the banks, the spring bank holiday? <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's what it's for. We all uh, we all go to the bank and we deposit one pound each, and that's how we uh, honor our banks on our bank holidays. I understand the bank holiday now. It's so sweet. What uh-huh. a great tradition! That it you really have. is very nice. It's very nice. It's how the banks stay afloat in the UK. It's, oh, that's good. It's yeah. the bank holiday. It's the bank, bank holiday, holiday is that? It's like Black Friday. It's uh-huh. like the day that the banks get the money. So that's why we all need a day off. Okay, so we can all go in. Go to the bank. But you may have heard we have a guest this week. We have Mrs. Stephen Hackett joining us. Hello, uh, Upgradian Masters. <laughs> Upgradian yes, welcome. Overlords. Welcome, you are in the circle now. We decided to do a pre-recorded special episode, and because we were going to have Stephen on, there's only one thing we can talk about, which is the original iMac. Uh, for people that are not familiar with the story, Mr. Hackett, can you explain to the uh, Upgradians why you are now synonymous with the original iMac? So, the beginning of April, I think it was, I put out a little blog post saying, hey, I would like to have one of each color to do some video projects with. And it took about four or five weeks, and now I have all 13. They're sitting here in my office. It's like podcasting with an audience, but they're all facing away from me, so I guess they don't like what I'm saying. (laughs) They're all here, and I've done some reporting and a video and got some more stuff coming. So, so yeah, I've been playing with uh, 41-pound computers all month. Yeah, and, and it's funny because for me, um, I, I boy, nothing makes me feel older than having stuff that I covered and not even at the beginning of my career be nostalgia. <laughs> which is what this is but that's what this is like i was working i, I was working at macworld when the imac came out it was after i had uh, they had merged macworld and mac user and i had gone to work in macworld and and uh and so it's just kind of funny i mean it's still it, it was a long time ago it's like uh what 18 years ago now yeah so it's a long yeah. time ago but but still um yeah, it's a little strange. So that's uh, that's one of the reasons that that uh, this episode is putting me and and, uh, and Stephen together. Uh, we're, we're we're being put together because uh, Stephen's got the IMAX, and I was there for it, and uh, and so that's a, that's a fun combination. Stephen and I have been talking like in uh, Slack and stuff like that about IMAX things, and he's been asking me questions about like what was this and why, why did this happen and what was the reaction to this and and I get to be like an eyewitness to that eyewitness to history, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is kind of fun. And we said we should talk about this somewhere. Where would we do that? And the answer was, why don't we do uh, an IMAX special for uh, the holiday? And uh, and 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 put that out because we're all going to be doing holiday stuff, and so uh, so here we are. We're talking about the iMac, the not the one that I'm talking to you from right now, the original bulbous 
Bondi colored and other colors, right? Bondi, did Russell tell us it's pronounced Bondi? It's, that's the word on the street. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. The, the nostalgia thing is interesting. Uh, for me, I was coming to the Mac for the first time in this era. I was in high school and it was, you know, 2000, 2001. And uh, at that time, we had some like 1999 iMacs in the school because we didn't have necessarily new things in the newspaper room. But, um, and these are some of these machines are the machines that I sort of cut my teeth on and, and you know, running Mac OS 9 and then transitioning to Mac OS 10. And so for me, they, they're like right in that sweet spot of not only coming to the Mac, but also like learning a lot about the Mac. Mm-hmm. And like I broke a lot of things in software running on computers, you know, like these. And so for me, it's, um, you know, it's not so much that it was like the computer I had at home because we didn't have a Mac at home, but it was one of the models that really kind of brought me into this world and that's the same for me too by the way like that this computer was around when i was a kid and you know like when i hear uh many people you know mainly seems to happen on the talk show recently talk about like the first mac that they ever used and and kind of how it brought them in and people talk about the macintosh like and i really do think that for mine and steven's generation it was this imac like it was the same absolutely same thing it was like this was the computer that was like nothing we'd ever seen it wasn't like the gateway computers that we used in the cow boxes right like they were these were like these beautiful crazy looking things that had really interesting mice and keyboards and they had really weird cool software on them and they they were at this point like starting to become apple was starting to become the cool company that we know them at now and yeah for for our generation this is this is our apple it started with this imac I would actually say that it's it's not even just age-wise because I think a lot of people uh, either came back to mm-hmm. Apple or bought an Apple product for the first time with the iMac, and we'll get into like the way they the way it was sold the the you know what why would you buy an iMac what could you do with it but it was. Um, a lot of people, this was the thing that made people consider buying a Mac for the first time. And so, you know, would the would the iMac have saved Apple on its own? I mean, it, Apple needed to keep doing new things, and and they did. But this is the this is the first sign that uh, that Apple was turning it around because because people saw this Mac and said, I, I want to actually buy it. And so I think for a lot of people, obviously for a lot of people, the iPhone is their first Apple product. And for a lot of people, the iPod was their first Apple product. But I do think for a lot of people, the iMac was the first Apple product that they bought or used because uh, how could you forget it? It, it? It's you know a recognizable computer, a computer with a personality at a time when computers did not have uh, personalities. In a way that they don't have them today as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. true. Uh, so can can you guys put into perspective for me, like at this point in Apple's history, what's going on? So how long has Steve been back? What is Steve's position at this time? Um, like what is Apple as a company in early 1998? Well, I mean, so Jobs had only been back. Like the 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 announcement that they were buying, that Apple was buying next was in January of 97 at Macworld Expo. Um, and that was Gil Emilio and all of that and talking forever. And then Steve Jobs appears. And the idea there was they're buying next and Steve's going to be an advisor. And that was because they needed a new operating system and the Copeland wasn't working and they didn't want to buy, uh, they didn't want to buy B. 
So they bought Next to get Next Step and use that as the basis for what would become OS X. So Steve comes back and, you know, in the Jobs, Steve Jobs movies, uh, especially the one with Ashton Kutcher, you actually get the scene of him uh, engineering his revenge and uh, getting rid of the board that betrayed him and taking over as interim CEO. And, uh, you know, there are plenty of stories about him coming in and finding these people, including Johnny Ive, who were working there and still had sort of pride in what they were doing and uh, and uh, trying to set Apple on a path to figure it out. And uh, and among the way uh, among the things they did is in August of that year, they um, they made the deal with Microsoft to, like, drop the patent lawsuits and Microsoft gave them some cash. And Bill Gates appeared on a big screen behind Steve Jobs at Macworld Expo like he was Big Brother and everybody was creeped out by that and enjoyed the irony of it. And they killed the clones, too, is the other big thing that they did around then. Is they, It turns out that all of the Mac clones that were there uh, at the end of the Emilio era all had a license for System 7, but not for, I- for Mac OS 8. And so uh, they announced that Mac OS 8 would be the next version of the operating system and that there would be no clone licenses, effectively killing the clone program. And there were some lawsuits and Apple bought the assets of power computing. And, you know, presumably there was some other payoffs behind the scenes to shut it down. But Jobs wanted to shut it down. So all that was going on. He's like getting his house in order. But there was a real question about like, okay, where are the products? And, you know, Jobs put up, uh, I think I think maybe at... at, uh, at uh, some event I don't I don't even know, but we we had gotten the product grid right, Stephen. I mean, this is this is no this this is when he did it. He unveiled the the product grid here. Yeah, yeah. So the 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 grid of four, which is what they kind of came to call it. You know, one of Jobs' big thing when they came back was just clearing house of all these crazy models of Mac running around. Performas and G threes and uh, Unix uh, servers and all sorts of stuff. It was a it was a mess, right? It was a disaster. Like, let's get our house in order. And so, some of what he did was he killed the Newton, he killed uh, OpenDoc, he killed all the all these projects that were not anything and he said let's just go back to making products how simple can i make this and and he would say internally too look consumer professional desktop laptop fill the four boxes that's it let's do that and people you know we got to see this at that at this event uh, that happened in uh, in April 98. So, But at that point, Steve had been back running around for more than a year. And so they had had enough time to build a product that was kind of a full, fully... It's not like they hadn't done some other products in there. He he uh, At that event, he kind of crows a little bit about some of the other G3 stuff that they're doing. But this is the full-on Steve Jobs, and actually, as it turns out, Steve Jobs and Jonathan Ive uh, product that's the first tangible example of how Apple is not the old Apple since Jobs came back. Yeah, the, the grid of four really is, I mean, even today, such a genius move. It's like, get rid of all this oh, yeah. stuff, and you are either a consumer or a pro, and you either want a desktop or a notebook. And they spent really two years filling that box out. So they had the the beige, you know, Power Mac G3 that got replaced with the blue and white. They had the PowerBook, but the consumer side, oh. you know, the iMac was the first thing, and then the iBook was like months or maybe even like a like close to a year later. I think like it took them time to get all those ducks in a row, but it set forth a very clear vision. So the iBook was in June 1999 at uh, MacWorld Expo in New York. So over a year. So this is, and this is what I was going to say is not only was this genius in terms of simplifying and sending the message that they were simplifying and genius in terms of 
um, communicating that it was a new Apple and that they were going to focus. But it was actually genius in terms of pr- of promising a product that they weren't ready to deliver. Because I will tell you, for that year plus, everybody was talking about what the consumer laptop was going to be. Because the PowerBooks were expensive. I mean, they were they were expensive. And the idea that Apple was had just put out there a slide that said, yes, we're going to do a consumer laptop. Um, and it sat there for more than a year with an empty box. Like, question mark? I think they may have even put, literally, a question mark in that box. And uh, that was great marketing, too, to make us all wonder what was their next trick going to be. In so many ways, 1998 feels like such a, a long time time ago so you have all the apple stuff but you also have like this is deep in the throes of the like the megahertz war so all throughout this keynote it's like racing pentium computers because that's what they did in the day we watched a video that is clips from it's not the whole thing but it's a lot of clips from this event which was at the flint center like the original imac and in fact the apple watch was also launched there um and uh, so much of that is 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 Steve Jobs and Phil Schiller brought out to uh, <laughs> talk about how the the uh, you know megahertz for megahertz the the Pentium is not as efficient as the PowerPC at doing work and and uh, doing Bake Offs, which I had forgotten that they did, but they absolutely <laughs> did this all the time, where it's like we'll press these buttons and then everybody just sits there and watches as some something renders on two screens to show how fast this Mac is compared to this PC that they've that they've ginned up. And of course, that's also amazing marketing, right? Where they're picking exactly what they want to do because they know they're going to win and all of that. Ready, set, go. There's so much of that, which is just defending the Mac against the perception that Macs were slow and awful and and that the PowerPC lagged behind what Intel was doing. What was the situation, though? Like, were they faster? Or, like, is this just, you know, Steve Jobs spin? My my recollection is that they were faster depending on what the what the tests were. Okay. That, that one of the things that I believe that the... It went back and forth. I think in this era... They had added a whole bunch of instruction sets to the PowerPC chips. And if you had that were like the vector instruction sets, I believe that um, basically uh, if your software took advantage of them, it was faster than it was on the Intel chips. But of course, Intel was working on their special command sets, too. It would be, I think that's what MMX, the multimedia extensions stuff was. So it was an arms race. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there was generally a feeling that, you know, you got you got uh, more for the same megahertz between a, a, a Pentium and a, and a G3. But um, and the G3 is, uh, this, this is also the earlier in the G3 life, life where G3 was a big deal because previously you would have the PowerPC like the 604s and the 603s and the 601s which were these chips that were not uh, they were way more powerful than the the Motorola 68000 chips that they had run before but uh, the G3 was was uh, a rebranding and kind of a generational leap that uh, hence the name that uh, gave them more uh, ammunition against Intel but they're so Intel focused, right? Because yeah. it, we forget about this now that the Mac is Intel. But at this point, they really need to justify their lack of compatibility and their lack of understandability. Like you, you know, it wasn't the same parts, so you couldn't easily compare them, and so they had to do lots of spin. So, I, Jason, I know that leading up to this, you know, we we talked about Apple kind of being like messy. I know in here there's a lot of like software only events. Like Apple used to have 
oh gosh, I don't even know like how many expos and stuff they would attend. And a, a lot of these videos you find on YouTube from this era, just like recycled content. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, and that was kind of the scene going on. So like, was there any indication going into this event that there was something like really special uh, coming down the pipe or did you guys just write it off as another event? Uh, in fact, I would say that there was a real um, boy who cried wolf kind of feeling about Apple at the time uh, at, at Macworld. Certainly we felt like, and I wish I could remember what it was, but the last event that Apple had told us, you know, Apple PR contacts us and says, okay, we're going to do a thing. You, you should come. And we're like, what's it about? Well, we can't say, you know, we're not going to say, it, but you should come be there. Trust me, be there. And I remember that we went to that and I wish I knew, I wish I knew what it was, but I remember we all got out of it afterward and we're like, what the hell was that? Like, it was just nothing that it, that it was a waste of our time. They didn't respect our time. They had something inconsequential to announce or it was nothing new. And we're all like, why did we, why did we do that? And really it's like, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. Right. It's like, okay, okay, Apple, you got us. You got us. We uh we came to your thing not knowing what it was and you didn't give us anything new. So then they call up and say, "Okay, we're going to do a thing. It's going to be at the Flint Center. It's a it's the thing. You got you got to come. You got to come." And we're all like, "Yeah, pull the other one." <laughs> like, no. Uh so what ended up happening is our editor in chief at the time, Andy Gore, he lived in the South Bay around the peninsula. So it wasn't that far away. And somebody needed to go, right? We were not going to blow him off entirely. But we're not going to send like a bunch of people and have them. Most of our staff was in San Francisco. Uh, we're not going to have them all drive down all the way down to Cupertino and go to this thing when we had just gotten, you know, uh, kind of uh, wasted our time with the last Apple events, like more of the same as far as we could tell. So only Andy went to the event from Macworld. We could have sent as many people. We could have sent the whole staff. We could have sent as many people as we wanted. Flint Center is huge. Um, and Apple at the time was not a big draw for anything like that. And so only Andy went. And in fact, I wasn't even at work that day. I was working at home. I was working on some story from, from the apartment that I was living in at the time. And I just distinctly remember, uh, getting a phone call from somebody back at the office saying, um, you got to come into the office. Andy, Andy's called an all staff meeting for, um, three o'clock or something like that, four o'clock. Everybody's got to come in. I'm like, so seriously, I'm going to go into San Francisco uh, um, and, you know, in the afternoon and then go to a meeting and then turn back around and come home. That's ridiculous. And they're like, you know, it's this, it's a huge announcement. Uh, you got to come in. So we all came in and, uh, and it was the IMAC, right? But, but we all, you know, we, we all just weren't even paying attention. So Andy had the details and we started working on a story. And if you look at the, the Macworld uh, from that period, there's a, there's a story that we did as a drop in essentially, because we were about to ship our issue. So there's a cover that says cool with a period on it. And inside there's like a two page article that was written in less than a day about the iMac that we dropped in. And, uh, and then we started work on the next issue still cause it didn't ship, uh, still with no product, <laughs> but it's like that, wh- that's not going to stop us. We're going to put it on the cover again. And we wrote more about it. But unfortunately I would say this is the last major Apple product announcement that I was not in attendance at. 
The funny thing is, is hearing you explain it is so weird because it's like, oh, it was announced. Then we had a meeting at three o'clock later that day. Nobody still knew what it was. No. Right? Like it was just because that's just not how it is now. Right. There like, was no there was no Internet. There was no streaming on the Internet of Apple events. There was no not, there was no yeah. live blogging. There of was Apple no events. point in anybody explaining it to you over the phone because it's like it's not just we, we've got a deadline, which is like a week away. Like, it's, you know, whatever. It'll it'll be in the newspaper tomorrow morning. Well, in our case, our deadline, I think, was the next day. And we sure. did, you know, figure out who was writing it and editing. And I think I edited that story, but it was written by our reviews editor, Anita, and by Andy. Um, and we worked on the cover. I was the features editor at that time. So um, so I, I worked on it, but I didn't write that story. Uh, and uh, and we were also planning our attack for the next issue too, and and gearing up for that, and all of these things. And and it was, uh, but yeah, I mean, there was no reporting. We we heard it from the person who was there, and we started to plan our attack because yeah, there was that was it. That was that was the world back then. It's kind of hard to believe now, but that is definitely how the world was in in uh, in 1998. Yeah, I mean, looking at Apple's press releases for the spring of 1998, it's stuff like QuickTime and Java, and yeah, uh, there's one about unveiling a new commercial. Like it's really. <sighs> Just kind yeah. of, uh, I bet you it was a QuickTime or Java thing that we went to, like something where it's like, hey, we've got because, okay, I know this is a little little off topic, but talking since we're deep in the history of Apple, I will say, I in the nineties, um, the biggest offenses that Apple did in terms of uh, spending money on and and wasting people's time on uh, stuff that they were doing that wasn't that interesting, QuickTime takes the cake <laughs> QuickTime. they the people who were in charge of QuickTime and in charge of marketing QuickTime, and this is before jobs was back there but i think it kept going for a little while after he got back they were so in love with themselves and they would do like they had like the QuickTime live conference and they'd talk about how where it was all about like how great QuickTime was and they had they they had a i wrote about this at, at, uh for the apple 40th uh macworld did a slideshow of like 40 things we remember about apple and one of mine was uh how much money old apple used to waste uh, we went to this, it was at like a hotel on the peninsula and it was like a party slash event. And I think I could, I could swear to you, I think it was about QuickTime and just like all the cool stuff they were doing with QuickTime, like QuickTime VR and QuickTime 3D and CD-ROMs that you could click on and they used QuickTime. And, and so I would bet you that that early 1998 event that made us all roll our eyes was something about QuickTime. That, that it was like, oh, we've got this new thing and isn't it great that people are going to be able to do more cool things that are Im- impractical and that will largely not be actually done with QuickTime. It was very much like we see the future and the future is QuickTime. Well, guess we're brilliant scientists who've invented QuickTime. Um, <laughs> there was just so much of it back then. I can't, I can't even properly describe. Just it, I, That was the biggest eye roll for me of, of, of that period of Apple was that they were just so... There was a strain in Apple at that time that was so enamored of their their genius with the future of computers and media and how they were they were making it all happen and you know literally nobody else was using QuickTime. <laughs> so yeah. I yeah, it, it was so that that would be my guess is that that press release about something related to QuickTime is probably related to whatever event it was where the where the the boy cried wolf yeah, I just found a twenty-page white paper that, the, that you know. Is, there's actually a whole QuickTime <laughs> PR page on the Wayback Machine. It's just really, really painful. But you know, it, I, I think all that's important to say, like this, the world that the iMac entered, right? That even oh, yeah. 
you guys who like it was your job to cover Apple and and even y'all we didn't bother really going <laughs> couldn't be bothered like oh great they're doing another event like Mike's right like that is so crazy to think about now but um that's that's the world that that Steve Jobs had stepped into when he came back yeah yeah and so instead I mean and this changed everything right you you didn't miss a, you didn't miss an Apple event after this. This, this was them delivering. This was them saying, when we call an event, and right, and that was a lesson I think Apple had to learn too, is you can't call an event for just anything. And to this day, we, we spend time, Mike and I do it every Monday, right? We parse like what would be in that Apple event and was that enough in that Apple event? And would they, you know, what will be in the WWDC keynote in a few weeks and all of that. Uh, but at the time, I think, I think they learned their lesson because after this, Every event that they that they invited us to was basically relevant. It, it would find you know they 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 didn't cry, cry wolf anymore. They realized that they had trained us badly. They had trained us to ignore them because we couldn't trust that that what they were doing was newsworthy. And uh, it all changed after after this event. Um, so yeah, so we should we should talk about these bulbous blue beasts. That they unleashed on the world, and in uh, they didn't unleash them in April. They announced them in April. Yeah, it shipped in uh, early early August. Yeah, see, so that that's another thing that people that people miss is that is that it was uh, you know mid August before they shipped, even though they were announced in April. So imagine four months where everybody's really excited about this new thing that Apple's finally doing, and uh, and we'll we'll talk about what happened in those intervening four months, but. Uh, it was, uh, it was a weird time. Today's very special episode of Upgrade is brought to you in part by FreshBooks, the company that is on a mission to help small business owners save time and avoid the stress that comes with running their businesses. And they do this by focusing on pain-free invoicing. I can speak to the fact that FreshBooks makes my job and my business run better and easier. And it helps me also get paid faster too. It takes just 30 seconds to create and send an invoice with FreshBooks. You can even add your little logo on there so it looks even more professional. And the way that you get paid faster with FreshBooks is because they give you tons of ways for your clients to pay you. You can receive payments by card. You can integrate with services like PayPal. FreshBooks have their own payment system. You can put information on how they can pay you by check or how they can pay you by bank transfer. It's super simple. You're able to track if people have received your invoice. So you won't have to be sending those awkward emails anymore about, hey, did you see this? Did you get this? You'll know. These are some of the reasons why FreshBooks customers get paid five days faster. And that's just invoicing. FreshBooks has tons of other tools all focused on helping you keep organized when it comes to your finances of your business. You can easily keep track of your expenses. You're able to scan receipts and save them in the FreshBooks app for organizing later. You can do that with the camera on your smartphone. They have great reports. I love these. So you can just log into FreshBooks and easily see like who's over 60 days to pay you, who's over 90 days to pay you. It's super simple to keep track of all of that stuff. So you're able to stay on top of things without having to dig through tons of files. They have great support. They have tons of third-party integrations. It's all fantastic. I love it. I could not recommend FreshBooks more for anybody who sends out invoices as part of their business. They're offering a 30-day free trial to listeners of this show with no credit card required. You can claim your 30 days of unrestricted use by going to freshbooks.com slash upgrade. And please enter upgrade in the how you heard about us section so FreshBooks knows that you came to them from this show. Thank you so much to FreshBooks for their support of Upgrade and Relay FM. 
after they talked about uh, Pentiums and and megahertz and things like that, they finally they finally got into why uh, why they were all there, why Steve Jobs had invited everyone there. Steve wearing his uh, wearing a white shirt and a uh, and a suit uh, jacket, by the way, not his uh, soon to be traditional uh, turtleneck and jeans. Yeah, it's it's always funny to see uh, what I like to call formal Steve <laughs> on stage in these early events. But he really starts, and, and what's maybe the most fascinating thing to me about watching this this keynote is that all the elements of later keynotes are here, right? That he he starts with sort of yeah. defining a, a problem, and the problem mm-hmm. is that there's not a great way to get a Macintosh on the internet. Like, there's not a Mac built uh, for internet use, and... Yeah. And then he talks a little bit about kind of what the product means and what it will, how it will change the world. And then he, you know, pulls quite literally in this case, pulls the sheet off of it and, and shows it to everybody. And there's a there's a big there's a big unveil. I I was also shocked by and fascinated by. If if you're a an aficionado of Apple events, you really should uh you should watch this because you can see that it's a proto you know proto event. It would evolve into mm-hmm. into something else. But also, it is so bizarre to see like the the terrible fonts and the mm-hmm. terrible charts that are on the screen like and like clearing throat stumbling steve yeah it's not all there it's like clearing his throat constantly like he, he stumbles his words in a few places which just shows like he has i think at this point a real understanding of what makes a good event but what he hasn't nailed down at this point is how much he needs to practice that Right. Nor has he exerted um, enough art direction over the slides and stuff. Yeah. Like the slides, the slides feel like, you know, the marketing team slapped them together and he ignores them or uses them at at will. But it's not at the point yet where he's like going to take complete control of the art direction of those slides and say they need to, you know, they need to be better. Also, it's, I think, I think the slides are using like Garamond, which was the Apple font at the time, which they went away from. But it's weird to see like these, uh, it was serifs on, Apple slides? Yeah. <laughs> like, no. Well, it's better than the chalkboard they would use after this. The, the slides got worse before they got better, I think. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's true. That's true. But, I mean, so so this is a time when, when the internet became relevant to people. Dial, people were dialing in to AOL or, or uh, other online services or just direct, directly into the internet. And uh, that became a thing that people wanted to do. Like, why do you use a computer went from being, well, maybe you'll keep your books or you'll type up reports or, or you'll do things like that to, I want to get on the internet. I want to use a web browser. I want to do email. And that's how they conceived the iMac. The I, which now lives on as the letter that was in the iPod and then went to the iPhone and the iPad, but initially it came from the iMac, and on the iMac it really meant internet um, because the idea was this is a single device, you pull it out of a box, the the way the ad which I would say is maybe the best Apple product ad it had done in uh, years, if not a decade, uh, is famously the uh, the There's No Step 3 from Jeff Goldblum, mm-hmm. the idea here is you take the iMac out of the box and you plug it in, and you plug in the phone line into the modem port, and you're online. That's it. That's all you have to do. Presenting three easy steps to the internet. Step one. Plug in. Step two. Get connected. Step three. <laughs> There's no step three. There's no step three. <laughs> And uh, that was the idea they used. And they had to build around a huge CRT 
Um, and so they did. And so it's all bu- bulbous and everything. Um, and they used it to their advantage by putting it in, you know, covering it in translucent plastic at a time when, as uh, Steve Jobs hilariously says in this video. And these things are ugly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, it, you know, the, going back to the, to the eye for a second, I felt like there's a little hedging on the Internet bet a, a little bit that he says, well, what does the I stand for? And he says, Internet individual instruct inform and inspire like a yeah. that's a terrible bulleted list of words um but be <laughs> yeah. like i feel like the, the apple that would come out of this like the more confident apple would say it stands for internet like that's all like that's it and they totally did right i mean you could tell that that's actually what it stood for and they said that's what it stood for but that slide yeah. was a super weird hedge of like hey, it, it means whatever thing starts with i that you like <laughs> yeah exactly and you know and like i said that i in today's world just means apple Apple. product right like it's that that of course that meaning is gone he opens it up and he says look you know the best consumer pc out there and he you know has a picture of a compact or something that looks like junk it could just as well be the uh, power mac g3 which is also true just i mean not cheap but just as ugly and right looks awful a base tower base crt Mm -hmm. wires everywhere and he says, look, we're going to beat this thing in speed, display size, networking, I.O., and design. And that's very, very similar to how he introduced the iPhone years later of like, hey, look, these yep. phones have like crazy, crappy hardware buttons everywhere, and the software is not very good, and they're slow, and we're going to blow them all out of the water. Like that parallel jumped out at me big time in watching this video. Yeah, and and I mean, the simplicity of the product is its greatest advantage. If you think about PCs at that time, you know, like like his picture of them, it is a beige, it is a beige box. It's probably a mini tower. So it's a tall, ugly beige box sitting on or under your desk. There's a big beige monitor. It's a CRT monitor, so it's going to be huge and it's in your face and it's beige. And then there's wires everywhere right you've got key you've got you've got cables going to the keyboard and the mouse you've got cables going from the monitor to the computer you've got cables coming from the computer to the modem uh you've got cables going from the modem to the phone box uh you've got it's just it's messy it's messy and you got to set it all up i remember we had a um for my wife's job she had a pentium like a p100 pc at one point and uh, we set it up and it was, uh, I don't even know if it's a Dell or a Gateway or whatever, but it was, uh, they had like all these color-coded wires. All the cables were color-coded because they were trying really hard to make it easy to figure out what to plug in where. Um, so I appreciate that they made the effort. But uh, when you look at the iMac, it's just like, there it is. And there's it's so clean and clear. And the, the number of wires is dramatically reduced because it's all in one. Um, which I guess we should mention the molar. Because yes. people don't know about the Molar, yes. uh, which is one of my favorite weird Macs of all time. The Power Mac G3 all-in-one was sold only really to education. It looks like a... Well, it kind of looks like a giant monitor, but we call it the Molar because it also looks kind of like a big tooth. And it's got mm-hmm. a, like a translucent bit of plastic on it, and it totally was a Johnny Ive thing. He was experimenting with this before they got to the iMac. And it's almost like a proto-iMac, where it is an all-in-one computer. And the idea there is you plug it in, and you got a computer. And for schools, what they were saying is you put this on a cart or you put this in a classroom. You don't have like the monitor and the, and the, and the PC and the peripherals all kind of mixed up and getting tangled. You just have this. It's a computer all-in-one, like the original Mac, 
right? The inspiration was clearly the original Mac. It is a monitor and a computer all together, and it goes with you, and it is self-contained. And and so they went from something like the Molar, which was like the proto iMac, the iMac Zero, to this iMac, and it had all that all those same characteristics of of not having all the wires and stuff, uh, which let them do that Jeff Goldblum ad and and. Uh, and uh, I guess we should dive into what else is in this thing because it was not just that it looked, it looked good. It has that transparent, you know, aqua, you know, it's blue, blue with a tint of green plastic, um, which everybody aped. Everybody put uh, like panels, translucent plastic color panels on their products after this. But in terms of even if it looked like a regular PC, in terms of specs, it was unlike any Mac that was ever made. It was a, such a big break, right? I mean, like you said, the G3 um, had been around, but this is the machine where Apple basically wiped or kind of hit the reset button on all of their I.O. So, yeah, no it's all the I.O. since since the Mac, really since the Mac SE, like the Mac SE uh, brought on ADB and and uh, regular Mac serial, I think, or maybe that was the plus had Mac serial. I don't know if the plus had ADB yet or not. So forgive me. Um, I, I, turns out I'm unclear on the differences in the exact ports of the, of the 128.512 plus and SE, because there's an error in an issue of Macworld from this period that is my fault that <laughs> nobody has mentioned to me until Steven noticed it last week. <laughs> no way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's I, true. I made, I made reference to some like, you know, it, and it's not even, I don't think it's even my byline, but I know that it's me who did that. Uh, and it's something like, you know, the iMac gets rid of all these ports that, that you know, you've loved since the, since the, you know, Mac 128. And it's not accurate because those ports weren't in the Mac. The 128 and the 512 didn't have ADB on them. I don't think they had Mac serial. They had a different kind of serial port on them. Um but by the by the time the SE came out, which is the first Mac that I had, those were there and they stayed there from that period, which, you know, for me, I got my Mac SE in like nineteen ninety, early nineteen ninety. Um, you know, they had been on every Mac from that point forward, certainly. So maybe not quite a decade, but for years, you know, every single peripheral that was sold was ADB for keyboards, serial for modems and things, and printers and things like that. Those were how you connected peripherals to your Mac. And they got rid of all of them at once. They got rid of the floppy drive at once. This thing had no writable storage. It had a CD-ROM drive. And it had USB, which was, at the time, esoteric. Nobody made USB devices. It wasn't on PCs, really, either. Um, it really struck me that Steve kept calling it Universal Serial Bus. Yeah. Like, he didn't call it USB. Like, it was it was interesting to me to hear that. I was like, oh, this must be, because, again, I didn't have the context. Like, this must be really early on in this, because he, he keeps referring to it. He never uses an acronym. He just keeps calling it Universal Serial Universal, Bus. Yeah. We are going to the new generation of I.O. 12 megabit universal serial bus, two ports. We're leaving the old Apple I.O. behind. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a thing that, we, that anybody knew really or had used. Um, oh, I didn't mention SCSI. Steven mentioned SCSI. SCSI, how you har- hook up hard drives. Gone. 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 It's gone. It's all gone. It's amazing. But it had a modem built in, right? So there's like just a phone jack on the side of this thing. And there's a little door that you could fold down that had the ports inside and it had a little hole in it, right? Very, very Steve Jobs, Johnny Ive, right? Little hole in it. So you could like pass through the cables so you could close the door and still have your cables come out. 
amazing. Um, so they had a modem and an Ethernet port. And in the video, in the in the in the event, I I think it's really funny that Steve Jobs has to justify why he thinks having Ethernet on the computer might be a good idea. It's super awkward though. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is weird. But what there was no Wi-Fi, and he's like, you know, more people are hooking up uh, Ethernet networks at home, which I'm not sure if that's true or not. That felt weird. I think that's still weird today. But, but you know, it, Jobs was big into, like, the networked home folder thing. And yeah. obviously they were working on server-side stuff. So, like, I think maybe it was a, it was a, a bet against the future. Well, but also it, it made a big difference in education, like computer labs mm-hmm. and schools and stuff where these things would be sold also. So maybe it wasn't for, like, the home user, but for education and businesses, it made tons of sense. And I think my my understanding from people like uh, like James Thompson, I think worked on worked on stuff at this point, um, yep. is that one of the concepts they had was for a diskless iMac. That the idea that in in that you could actually you know buy these and put these in schools and they would have no disk at all and they would boot over the network mm-hmm. and that that was that was part of the strategy and it sort of never really happened um, with this product, but. Uh, that was a part of it. Also, I mean, I think Steve Jobs felt like networking was always a good idea and that you never really knew what you were going to do with it, but that it was good to have it on board because that goes back to the original Mac, right? I mean, the original Mac had network capability at a time when that was like, why would you even bother with that? But, but the, you know, from the original Mac on, networkability was in the box. It was part of the thing and people used it. And uh, over time, some people didn't use it, but a lot of people did use it. And I, I think maybe philosophically that became part of Jobs' thing is like, well, why not do that? That makes this device more. Yes, it, it's a little more expensive this way, but it makes it much more flexible than. Um, and also, let's not forget, this is a device that they want people to be able to use it out of the box and you can't open it up. Right. You can't open it up and put an expansion card in it. So if it's going to go into offices and schools, maybe we should just put Ethernet in it. So they did. Yeah, it's such a it's such a a big break from where they were, but it's also like a return to form, like you said, with the original Mac, where you couldn't open the box. It was like what you bought is what you had, and um, <laughs> that's it. That's it. That's it. And, and you know, from such a change of pace from even that Molar Mac, you could slide like cards in. They were called profile yeah. cards. So you could do like. Uh, audio stuff or video stuff and just like take the back off and put this big thing in it and put the backpack on and suddenly you had new capability uh where the iMac really the the vision was to offload all of that uh onto USB devices USB, and like you said that stuff just didn't exist when they announced it <laughs> yeah that that's something i mean we we definitely need to talk about the universal serial bus thank you mike yes it's the new it's the universal serial bus which replaced adb and serial and SCSI, right? So all of those things that we used to connect devices to the Mac in different ways were replaced by USB. That was it. We had never seen it before. Um, and so that was what this, that was what this had. And, and the funny thing is that the devices didn't exist. So fortunately, we <laughs> did have those four months or whatever where Apple announced this, where basically Apple saying, people are going to want this computer. You should build USB devices for it. And everybody like was scrambling. There were a lot of companies that were working on USB peripherals for the PC market because it was starting to happen, but this was the impetus for the, for, for people to use USB like USB as a standard really owed its existence to, to maybe it would have happened anyway, but the iMac made it happen. Uh, the iMac made USB a thing. This so, reminds me a lot of like Thunderbolt and the Mac pro, right? Like, We've got this thing and it's awesome. No peripherals. <laughs> like, right. <nobody> uses it. <laughs> right. 
and this was this was um uh, so some some of them were out there or were being worked on, and so we we ended up in the months following this some hilarious things where we would get we were trying to do a feature about USB stuff. We literally in the next issue of MacWorld had a table of like here are products that people say they're going to make that are USB, and it's not that big a list. I remember it as this huge table. It's like twenty five products. Like literally, here's every USB product that anybody has announced, and we had a couple of them like two, three of them that we got in non-working. We didn't have any USB devices to plug it into anyway. The iMac hadn't shipped yet. Non-working samples. And they were generally like, like iOmega sent us a zip drive where instead of it being the um, the uh, opaque blue enclosure, it was translucent blue plastic enclosure around the zip drive. And they said, see, it's for the iMac. <laughs> um, That's how you know it looks just like yeah, it. Yeah, it's there's plus, <laughs> and there was like a printer that a USB printer was announced because uh, that was a big thing. It's like, how are they going to print? And it's like, well, there will be USB printers, and it was like literally just a regular printer. It was going to have USB on it, and what they did was they the um the little lid that you would lift to do the ink and stuff. They replaced that with a with a translucent blue plastic panel. <laughs> so now it's for the iMac and I think they called it it was instead of the 880 uh, it was the 880i because mm. it had pl- that little plastic thing for on inspire. it for Inspire it could be it could be or, ins- or Instruct who knows who knows so so yeah so USB was strange and weird and we didn't really understand it and there in that Macworld issue there, there are some hilarious diagrams because uh, hot plugging wasn't a thing um, like with SCSI, if you wanted to plug in a hard drive, you were supposed to turn off your computer, plug in the hard drive, and then turn on your computer. And then if you need to unplug it, you need to turn off your computer and then unplug it and then turn on your computer. And with USB, it was like, yeah, just, uh, we had a little diagram of like, you could have a hub and then you can plug things into the hub that works. All the stuff we take for granted now, but at the time it was like mind blowing kind of things because you were never supposed to hot plug, unplug anything, not a keyboard, not a mouse, not a hard, certainly not a hard drive. Um, and that you could chain things on the hub, uh, which was a much different approach than SCSI, where they kind of like all had to chain one after another. This you could plug in a thing and then plug five things into it. Um, it was a it was it was a big deal. The downside was you lost or you needed an adapter uh, for ADB uh, keyboards and mice for serial for like uh, modems and things like that or whatever else you would use with serial. Um, all your floppies are now useless because there was no floppy drive on this thing, only a CD-ROM drive. And that freaked people out. Like that was, that's famously a panic, but it was true. People were like really blown away that there was no floppy on it. It's true. Any other questions, children? Oh, you want to know about infrared? Yeah. So, so the front of this thing, (laughs) uh, on the, so you had, you had the stereo speakers and on the left one, there's a little cutout with a, with an IR window. Yes. And I could only think of two things, um, that you would use this for one, a bunch of the Newtons had a little IR window at the top, so you could like beam information to your computer. Yep. I mean, never mind that your keyboard was in the way. Move your keyboard, put the Newton down, and do it. Mm-hmm. And then I seem to remember, but maybe this is just a hallucination from moving IMAX all day. Uh, that some cameras had this as well, so you could transfer your photos. But yeah, did that? I mean, I know for a fact because I have them all here. This didn't last very long. <laughs> what was the deal? This was how, this was like the Bluetooth of the day. Was how do you do simple, um, peer, you know, peer to peer data transfer 
So in the presentation, Jobs chalks it up to like transferring your photos. Although I never, ever did that. I, I don't remember that happening once. People who had like uh, Palm organizers and stuff like that, you could like beam your business card to somebody else who had a Palm by holding down a button. And what Palm did is Palm actually wrote software that let you use the IR port on the iMac to uh, sync with the iMac. It was slow because you are literally blinking a light (laughs) to do data transfer. It is light blinking data transfer. Uh, But it was, yeah, I mean, it was really not that reliable and it was super slow and... Uh, I don't think people really ever used it. I, I, I'm surprised that it got in there at all. I, I suspect this is the flip side of Steve Jobs being open to, uh, let's put that in there. Who knows what people will do with it? And in hindsight, what happened is this is not a thing people did anything with and they took it off. But uh, but that's my memory is that uh, the IRDA port was, uh, the I think you could sync like your Palm, uh, <laughs> update the, update the Palm contact information from the iMac. It lasted exactly one revision. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah. not not a um, not a winner compared to no. something like like USB. I mean, so much of this computer is so forward thinking. It's true, and it's it's one of those things too. Like it's really hard to separate. So there's like there's like two like parallel thoughts in my in my brain about this. One is that like Apple and St- through Steve Jobs like saw a vision for the future of consumer computing, and they built the iMac, and it it the future was going to be that right. They met the future, but there's also this thought that. It's also kind of the future that Steve Jobs wanted to see happen, and so they Mm -hmm. brute-forced it. So, like, you know, if Steve Jobs uh, says you don't get a floppy drive, or in 2008 with the MacBook Air, he says you don't get CD drives anymore, um, then floppy disks and CDs kind of die, right? Like, um, Yeah, there, there was a huge market momentarily for USB floppy drives. Like US, oh god, we need a floppy drive, USB floppy drives, and it very, very quickly it went away. But, but, uh, but yeah, that was that that was that moment of like, can I just be unburdened and make a product? And this is still in Apple's DNA to this day. It's like, let us be unburdened by the past and make a product that we think is the best product for the future, even if the future's not here yet, because it'll right. be here soon, and we will have been ahead of the curve. I mean, look at the MacBook. But uh, uh-huh. so I mean, I guess my my question in that is like, where where did this seem to fall between those two things? Like, I mean. Was it a big pain or did people kind of very quickly get over it and Fabi just went away overnight? I'd say, well, I mean, so I'd say it's a, it's kind of like now or or like with a MacBook or something like that, where there are people who um, whose worldview is like, this is something you have to have in a computer. And then there are people who were thinking about things a little bit more deeply and would say do you really need that in a computer are who's using that is that something that most people are using or almost nobody quite honestly one of the reasons that i think people were skeptical about the floppy is that the floppy was much more necessary on the pc mm-hmm. i mean this was this was the era where still the you pcs needed to have floppies because sometimes you would need to boot off of the floppy right um and so how could you not have, I, I believe at this point, you literally could not have a PC without a floppy because the floppy, like the floppy drive had to be there. Uh, that was your emergency boot solution was a floppy drive. Um, and so uh, some people just couldn't get over that. It's like, well, how could you have a computer that doesn't have a floppy drive? But, you know, this is the zip drive era. People are already buying external storage with way more than than the one megabyte that you could fit on a on an HD floppy because uh, that wasn't enough space 
like System Seven came on what ten floppies or something? Yeah, it's a whole it's a whole like little booklet of them. Yeah, a little envelope full of floppy disks because it and you had to put them in one at a time to install it on your hard drive because it was just they so so that technology had already um, outlived its usefulness. I'd say the the trick of this timing is that CDR wasn't ready yet, and so there was no writable storage on this device at all, like for portability reasons. And that that bothered people because there was still a lot of sneaker net. There was still a lot of taking things to your friends. And how could you do that on your iMac now? Like, how do you get data somewhere else? Um, and people didn't know. <laughs> and, and, you know, there weren't just USB keys <laughs> back then, right? It's like, maybe you get a USB hard drive and you copy it to the hard drive. So so I think that was painful, that, the, that this landed before you could even, like, burn a CD-ROM to give to people. So you could. how do you get data out of this thing other than by, like, emailing it to somebody? from a from your AOL account I guess um so I, I'd say that was the that was the reaction to that and the same ADB I mean USB was very clearly superior to ADB and and serial but you you definitely had everybody complaining like people are worried about their headphones with their headphone jack right they were like man I'm gonna buy adapters and it's gonna be you know I'm gonna have to do that and I, I'd wager that you know they made so many ADB and serial adapters for USB back then uh that you know you can still get they probably were all made in 1998. Um, and if you use, a, like, uh, you hear about people who use the Apple extended keyboards to this day, like John Gruber, yep. right? They're all using a an ADB to USB adapter to do that. Mm-hmm. You can still get them on Amazon. Sure. They're out there. And Serial, I used uh, Mac Serial to USB adapter for years with my weather station because it had a Serial port on it. Um, and then it had a little Mac adapter for it, and it was just to Mac serial. I'm like, what the heck is this? Uh, and that was 2000. I got that in 2004, and they still were just like, here's a Mac serial adapter. I'm like, okay. And there's a, yeah, there's a, a Keyspan USB serial adapter that I put in, and that gave me the access that I needed. So, yeah, I, I think it was, in hindsight, it was largely a great move. The infrared didn't carry off, but the rest of it, they were correctly envisioning what the future was going to be like and what the, the needs were. Um, and the biggest, biggest hit they took was not having writable storage on it, other than, like, removable writable storage. You couldn't get right. data out of it in any good way um, to a disk. Yeah. It, it really is just fascinating. You know, it's, we obviously have the benefit of time now, but I like to play this game even now. Like, we can get the MacBook of like, is USB-C the thing? Like, is that where we're going? And, you know, sometimes Apple gets it right. Sometimes they don't, or sometimes they're too early. Um, but it's always like this repeating cycle with the company. And clearly the, the iMac is one of the biggest examples. Oh, yeah. It's it's the it's like the root example. So with a lot of Apple products, the, this thing came with, uh, you know, a new... Uh, keyboard and mouse and of course they they were using the new fangled usb usb and they even um they even have a a little side of like you can put the plug the mouse on either side so if you're left-handed you can use the mouse on the left side because the ports were on the right side of the computer yeah i mean the adb adb did that too i mean the adb yep. keyboards for apple had the left and the right too but still look at this mouse it's the most it's the it's the most wonderful mouse you've ever used yeah so this mouse i mean ugh, we'll put a picture in the show notes it it is perfectly round and it's very yeah. i mean i've got a whole stack of them it is very difficult uh, mm-hmm. to use it because it's it's easy to get it like turned and suddenly going up or down isn't quite up or down it's diagonal and for me at least and i just have like i guess like normal sized human hands 
um, it's pretty small. And so it's uncomfortable for me at least to use for long periods of time. And they, what kills me about this is they stayed with it. And as they moved on, they did like the five flavors. They introduced this mouse in a bunch of different colors, but they didn't change anything. It was just like, Oh, now it's an orange. Um, and eventually they moved away from it, but it's, it's uh, definitely a mess in the, uh, in the design department. Did people hate it? I mean, I think it's good looking, but when you say from the design, it was like ergonomically and, and just to use it, people didn't like it. But was that the th- feeling at the time? Yeah, I think when people started using it, there was a feeling of like, oh, I don't know about this thing. But you, you want to give it, you want to give it a, it's uh, a chance. I think when people were looking at it, they were just like, well, that's really cool. It's all like translucent plastic and isn't that awesome? And it's USB and it's 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 very different from the old mouse. And always people will be like skeptical because they like their new thing and that's why they re- rushed out to buy an ADB adapter. But once once it came out, it became clear very quickly, I would say, that you couldn't orient it properly. <laughs> Right, you pick it up. You, you know it, it's turned a little bit, but you haven't noticed. And you just reach your hand down, and you start to push it upward to move your cursor upward, and your cursor goes left. And you're like, oh, damn it, mouse! And then you got to like <laughs> reorient it to get it back to upright because you can't. And that was that was the killer. It's like it's not comfortable in your hand. My favorite accessory at the time was there was a plastic shell that you basically snapped onto it that made it shaped like essentially like the old Apple mouse, where it made it oval. And it was like literally, it just made it so that you could tell you it was bigger to grip, and you could tell whether uh, you were using it up and down or not. The fact that that exists is just really sad for the people who designed this mouse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it looked great. I mean, it looked great, but but it was a mistake. And obviously, they did correct the hockey puck mouse eventually with the with the the one that they I think in two thousand maybe mm-hmm. it was that they did yep. at MacWorld Expo that was the the the, the new. Mouse. Yeah, the one with the, the that was uh, like a big dome, and it was it was mouse shaped. It was elongated, and uh, had the little uh, like laser underneath, and uh, and that that was a, that was that design is still in use. I mean, essentially, Apple's mice today are the same sort of design as that. Today's episode of Upgrade is also brought to you by our friends over at MailRoute. IT departments are always expected to do more, but with less money. This can be really difficult, right? That just seems like a conundrum that how are you going to beat it? Especially when you have troubles like end-of-life announcements for trusted hardware and software options that you've used for years. Postini, MX Logic, they've gone away. Who can you trust to do the job well and stick around? MailRoute. MailRoute will protect your email and hardware against spam, viruses, and other attacks. They have been doing this forever. MailRoute's team is completely focused on email protection, and they've been doing it since 1997. These people were doing email stuff before, and they've been doing MailRoute for nearly 20 years years. Their interface is easy to use and loaded with admin tools, including an API, and it's all designed to make your life spam-free. There's no hardware or software to install. If you're on your own domain, that's all you need to use MailRoute. MailRoute supports LDAP and Active Directory, TLS, mailbagging, outbound relay, and everything you'd want from the people handling your mail right now. MailRoute is offering price matching for McAfee and MX Logic customers, and you can stop spam today with a free 30-day trial of MailRoute. Just go to mailroute.net/upgrade. Listeners of this show will get 10% off the lifetime of their account, or if you'd like, you can send an email to sales at mailroute.net. But make sure that you let them know you heard about them from this show. MailRoute protects your email from spam and viruses. That's it. That's all they do, and they do it better 
than anybody else. Go to mailroute.net slash upgrade. Thank you to MailRoute for supporting this week's show, Mailbagging. So, I mean, how was the response to this? So this thing goes on sale in the fall of 98. Um, yeah. Was it just a uh, just mayhem to get your hands on one, or was it, did it take time for people to catch on? No, I, I mean, there was there was a huge... Uh, my recollection is there was a huge pent-up demand. People were really excited about it. Um, it came out in the fall. I think I think the idea that you would buy these... Keep, keeping in mind the internet at that time, like the idea that you could buy a computer... Um, like I said earlier, and just do it to get on the internet. Get you do it to do email. They were selling to people who finally had a reason to buy a computer, or or had a, bought a computer in the past but had been frustrated by it. And the idea was, this is like an internet appliance. Use it to get onto the internet, and that was a powerful message because then it doesn't matter about compatibility. Like it'll do email, and it'll do a web browser. Um, and that's all you really need. So you can you can buy a Mac. You don't have to worry about not it not running Windows. Uh, and and so that was successful. The fact that they had product focused ads beginning with the original one with the you know there's no step three, but uh, in in for the later editions they also did ads that were you were like ah, I see now this is like Apple like the the multicolored iMac ads feel very Apple uh, and and point the way to the iPod. Um, so I think, yeah, I think it was very successful with a broad number of people. I will say that people, you know, uh, power users were really not a fan of it because they were Power Mac users and this was a toy. It was not as powerful as their Power Macs. It didn't have the ports. And so I think in the install base, there was a, a an enthusiasm for it because it got people excited about it. But in the like grizzled veterans who were power users, they were not impressed by the iMac uh, because uh, and, and it took years, I think, for Apple to drive uh, pro model users down to the iMac to the point now where very few even like high end Apple users are actually using the Mac Pro. But um it took a it took a while because this was as many nice things as they say about it. It was kind of underpowered, like it was not super fast. It was okay, it was not cut rate, but it was not super fast, and it was super super incompatible. So um, it took time. It took time for that. Also, lots of adapters, uh, lots of USB floppy drives sold, uh, lots of USB products rushed to the market. Some of which were super buggy. Um, they were arriving. Oftentimes after the iMac, I think there was a printer that arrived about when the iMac did, but a lot of times you'd get the iMac and then there would be months where uh, you were still waiting for your additional USB products because they just weren't ready because it was an entirely new market and there was not a lot of USB stuff for it. And then, of course, there was the mezzanine slot, which I should mention, which was there was like a testing slot inside and people took it apart and discovered this thing and they tried to make some products for it and it was like to add a port or to add video out or all of these things that, that people tried to do with it. And the problem was like to crack the iMac case was not something anybody should try to do. It was not good. So... Uh, people tried, uh, and Apple learned its lesson and did not leave an open testing slot on future editions of the uh, of the of of the iMac. But I, I remember we had at MacWorld we had one where we had done some mezzanine hack to it, where there was like a port that was like 
added on to the existing ports on the iMac where we had added whatever thing turned that mezzanine slot into something useful. It was it was super weird. So people were enthusiastic, but they were also, I think, frustrated longtime Mac users by just how untouchable it was. It was, you know, we people complain about that today, but this is this is like where it really started, where it's like, no, don't open it. Don't change it. Don't modify it. It is what it is. Just use it. It's an appliance. That appliance mentality is really what sums the whole thing up for me. Like we, like we spoke about earlier with the original Mac, but this thing was designed as something you bought, you sat on your desk, and you didn't have to be some sort of like really nerdy or like technical person. You could just sit down and use it. And I think yeah. that this computer, for so many reasons, like it just nailed that 100%. And it is what, like, without a doubt, like, I wrote this thing years ago and called it the Mac that helped save Apple. And, like, it absolutely is yes. because it returned them to that um, that demographic of user. The computer for the rest of us, right? 14 yeah, years exactly. later, here, here's Steve Jobs again with the computer for the rest of us. And it's the same rationale. Yep. And it was one that really, I mean, uh, so many of these things were sold to education. It really returned them to that world as well in a, in a big way. And, um, you know, this, this single computer would spin off like depending on how you count them, like three or four or five generations after it. But, uh, this moment in 1998 is like one of the purest, uh, looks at like Steve Jobs vision, not only for Apple, but for computing in general, that it's simple, it's easy to use and you don't have to like deal with all these antiquated, connectors with pins yeah. and like terminators like you could just plug something in and use it and unplug it when you're done like just simple yeah, yeah. i mean it was it was uh uh and having new stuff like that right i mean often the cutting edge stuff doesn't go on the computer that regular people buy but it, on the imac it did like this is the for regular people and it, but it's got the usb it's a lot easier to use with usb you don't have to these people don't care about legacy hardware Right, these new new Mac buyers, iMac buyers, do not care about that. They just want to have a thing that lets them get on the internet, and they can just plug it in. Or a school or a business just wants to put it down and plug in a, a an Ethernet cable, and they're on the internet, and they can they can you know use this Mac, and it's got all the Mac software, and they can use the CD-ROMs, and you know their software story was still in flux at this point, but but yeah, it is it is the the. The, the Mac that saved Apple. This is the thing that turned it around. Uh, and then the, the growth really kind of followed as they, as they cleaned up the rest of the product line and then they eventually went to the iPod and the rest is history. But this was the start of it. This was the artistic statement in addition to being strategic by Steve Jobs about what they were trying to do. It fits in with the story of all the products that he made before and after, really. Um, and uh, and uh, from here... The question, and you you sent me a little clip from that Macworld article uh, that I was talking about earlier about uh, like what what is missing, what could we what where could we go from here? And I feel like the two things that were obvious were more colors, yep. <laughs> and um, and more you know writable storage, like I mentioned, the ability to like do CDR or something like that, so you could get mm-hmm. data out of this thing in some way. And when we look at the history, I mean, we've been talking about the initial Bondi iMac, uh, but as you look at the history, that's exactly what happened. The next generation was the the famous five flavors. You can go look at them right now in the room that you're in, right? Blueberry, strawberry, lime, tangerine, and grape. Yep. Aw, how cute. Um, And and, uh, they did that, took out the infrared, took out the mezzanine slot, stopped messing with our computers, right? And then... um, 
and then later that year in 99 they did the iMac DV which was a big deal cuz that was the one where they got um they got slot loading um that had CDR right uh some of them did um, some of them had CDR right sure so yeah. that firewire some of them had CDR um uh, on the iMac DV and then uh and then the there was the graphite special edition which was like the fancy high end iMac for 14.99 you got you got more ram and oh and it had video out i mean they added that was when they really kind of like turned the turned the product over and they made the slot load cuz the first iMacs just had the little slide out like you had to pull the drive out a little drive it was it was a compromise. I mean, I I think Steve Jobs didn't want the tray loading CD, and I think he wanted them to be CDR, and it just they couldn't make it work. Yeah, I, I get I have that feeling as well because they they did it really as soon as they could, and um you know so that they as they're adding all these things on and uh, adding FireWire and a big push in this machine later in its life was iMovie, right? You have FireWire, yes. digital camcorder. And you can come in, you can edit your videos in iMovie, which is... That's what the DV is. Yep. The whole idea here is you sell you sell people digital camcorders, they edit their camcorder files on iMovie and output them, um, and that's how you make movies in, in 1999. That's I made a lot of iMovies in 2000 and 2001. <laughs> but, you know, seeing all these things together, the, the heart and soul of the machine is the same. Even the way, like one of the little details that I love in the later ones, when they added the VGA out so you could you know you could uh if you were like a teacher and you wanted to, to put it on a tv or projector it mirrored it yeah but there was a little there were two covers for it and so if you didn't want to see the port you could snap a cover on the back and not see the port sticking out or if you wanted to use it put another cover on and the port was exposed like even then adding that that expand you know simple expansion um apple did it in a way that still kept the the product as a whole like clean and neat and sort of unassuming and you know if you didn't know what you were looking at it's really kind of hard to tell besides the case colors like the evolution of these things because they uh that that shape was a so well defined by the crt but they kept it so similar over the years where if you sat down to imac from 1998 or 2000 you know uh, you felt uh familiar with it yeah and I think a part of that, a big part of that, is how fast they turned these things over. So in their heyday, they were revising these things every nine months. And yeah. you would have new colors and new technology come in at the top of the line. And just like the iPhones today, you know, the previous best case iMac would sort of drop down to the middle slot. And sometimes they would have a really cheap one. If you look at 2000, which yeah. I remember clearly the Macworld Expo in 2000, I remember, you know, this is when the G4 Cube came out. I think this is when when uh, this is like a year after maybe the iBook came out. So this product line, they've got a generic iMac at seven ninety nine. That is your low price leader. It's it's old tech basically. No airport card slot. No video out. No FireWire. CD ROM instead of DVD ROM. But you know that was the seven ninety nine. Then at nine ninety nine, you get something a little bit better. That's the iMac DV. Uh, and at twelve ninety nine, you get the DV Plus. And at fourteen ninety nine, you get the DV Special Edition. And the colors are are variants of each other. Um, this is when they they uh, they've got you know they new names. This is the Indigo Ruby Sage. 
uh, graphite and snow IMAX that they that they did. So the the colors are a little bit different and they've got different names, but they they still have that product line spread. Seems like the complication came back though. You know, like some of the complication that Steve tried to get rid of with this product seemed to come back. I don't know. I mean, because it's sort of like now, right, where, you know, you can get Macs in different different SKUs with different features, but essentially it's sort of like, you know, good, better, best inside a single product line. There's some more complication, but yeah. it's more about like we have lower margins on this one and we can blow it out for $7.99 and get it off the price list. I think what why it seems messy now is that, you know, Apple has, has for a very long time done good, better, best, but they... In this era, they were naming those things. Right now, if you go in and you want to buy a 13-inch MacBook Pro, you know, Apple sells several default SKUs of that, but they're all named 13-inch MacBook Pro. Where in these days, they labeled each of those steps in between. Yeah. And um, DV plus. Yeah. DV special. DV SE. Uh, yeah. Okay. okay. That's that's why then. Because yeah. I'm like, I'm hearing you list these, and I'm like, this is horrible. But that makes yeah. sense. But they're really just, yeah, good, better, best kind of SKUs. Yeah, and sometimes it'd be like a real cheap one down at the bottom. But um, And I think they learned from that, right? They did this in the iMac and they did it in the iBook G3. But by the time they got the G4 era, all that was gone. And it was just iBook G4. And there were a couple of different default SKUs and you could custom build one in between. Did they not have the facility to custom build them? Was that maybe why they offered more kind of SKUs on the shelf? Yeah, I think that's exactly it. Stephen, we need to talk about 2001 and what happened that year. Yeah. Um, but I want to start with an anecdote, which is we did an we did a customize your Mac feature early in 2001, late in 2000. Customize your Mac idea was like you know utilities to change your menu bar and your backdrop and sounds and whatever. It was just a little feature about ways you can personalize your Mac. And we thought, what is the cover? Because that was going to be the cover story. And we're like, what? What is the cover? And um, we decided to do something fun with the cover, which is actually hire a couple of models and do like um, fanciful ideas of, of like fancifully decorating an iMac. So we had one like with a cowboy lassoing an iMac that had like uh, like cow spots on it. Wow. Um, and, I think, and I think we had a hippie with like a hippie iMac. We did multiple covers, so depending on where you are, you got different covers. And this issue came out in late 2000, early 2001, and we got this furious call from somebody at Apple. And we couldn't understand it. They're like, how dare you deface our computers? They made this argument like we didn't have the right to... um, change the appearance it, it, it made no sense like the appearance of their computers that that was their trademark and something like that and you know they were it's apple so you know the ceo of the company and the editor-in-chief i think were concerned about apple being mad about this but we were all baffled like why is it that you don't want us to do that do you not like the photos do you not like our silly kind of customized mac designs they claimed that that was the reason and then what happened is they announced the blue dalmatian and flower power imax and <laughs> so we you went beat and, to it <laughs> and we went oh because we beat them to it yeah yeah <laughs> turns out we just stepped wow. in it. <laughs> so and it's fine because those are really really ugly computers yeah they're not they're not great <laughs> the flower power one is the weird one to me because like the flowers are all like weirdly oriented and they're like yeah. different sizes and stuff very yeah. strange 
And it's it's um interesting to note too that these aren't like vinyl wraps. Like they are embedded in the plastic. It's in the plastic, it's, yeah. It's very strange and thankfully they only did two of them. It and, surprises um, me you could find these ones as easily as you did, Stephen. Yeah. Like it feels well, like they it, couldn't you know, have sold that many of these, surely. I tapped into some weird Macintosh gray markets. Huh. There's also some other weirdness, like uh, the cases have a Apple logo embedded in the top above the CRT, and then one like right on the back. And so, like the Ruby one, which I can see right now, that Apple is red to match the rest of the case. The blue Dalmatian and Flower Power, they use like a baby blue and a white, but they don't match. So, like the one on the top is white, and the one on the back is baby blue, and then vice versa on the Flower Power. Like, why did you change it? Like. Well, why did you think that was an important thing to do? But they're, they're so strange. And what really kind of is most upsetting to me about it is that the ones right before it looked so good, like the Sage and the Indigo and the Ruby and the Graphite, like are very subdued. Like you could see them like in an office, right? Like if you walked into your attorney's office and he had a Graphite iMac, you wouldn't think twice about it. But if you walked in and he had a Flower Power, you'd be like... What what okay, I like about like, that 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 addition, like the graphite sage ruby ones, is that the plastic is clear. Yeah, so they uh, a big change when they went so when they went to the slot loading optical drives, they they the case got just a slightly bit smaller, and you would never know unless you had two of them side by side. Uh, the case gets a little bit smaller. Do you know? I, I do know. Uh, they also got lighter. They got substantially lighter. Like I think they dropped like six pounds, and the the reason huh. for that is the the early ones had some electronics that were vertically oriented, kind of next to the CRT, and they had to shield those with metal. And so, if you look at the side photos of those early ones, you can see through the plastic, and all you see is like a big sheet of metal. And they were able to get rid of that over time, and with the slot load, it was it was gone altogether. You could see right through it. So you could see the CRT, which I think is really like a beautiful way just to embrace the technology. And yeah. they decreased the opacity on the plastic. So you could actually see through it. The, the, the graphite yeah. probably being the best example. You can just see through yeah. the thing. I think graphite's my favorite, looking at your photos, for sure. I You know, uh, this will make me unpopular, but I, I didn't like it because all you can see is the back of that CRT and... I think it's better imagined than seen. <laughs> What's your favorite, Jason? I don't have a I don't have a favorite. I guess maybe snow because it just obscures the CRT as much as possible. I would not have said this. I would have said graphite until I unboxed my tangerine and something about that bright orange just oh, speaks to me. It is a very good looking one. And I know it's like the one that you picked out as like for the video that you did. Like it's the the, the thumbnail animation and stuff. Like yeah, that is a beautiful one. The tangerine, the orange is great. And keep in mind that the 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 colors that they decided to import into the iBook were blueberry and tangerine. Yep. They decided that they were only going to do two colors of iBook, and those were the colors that they chose. So you could get it in blue or orange. Yeah, they eventually brought graphite and then a variant of so the lime iMac and the key lime iBook are slightly different, but they they right. did bring them eventually. But eventually, but the, the, when they launched them, they launched them with two colors, and it was yeah. it was blueberry and tangerine. Yep. So the thing for me is like these things have a lot of personality, right? And I, for one, wouldn't mind seeing some of that come back. I mean, now oh, you look at a MacBook yeah. Pro yeah. and you you have no idea how old it is because they all look the same, and they just they're very they've become very yeah. utilitarian in design. And and I'm not saying that I want um, a blue Dalmatian Mac Mini, 
but I, I do think there's room for like some, some whimsy and some fun in the hardware that we just don't see anymore. So like the funny thing is when you, when, when people talk about the uh, unibody aluminum computers, they talk about them as like a timeless design, right? When they're introduced, you know, like, oh, this timeless design. I actually think this is more of that. Right, this personality, I think, is making these really stand out and be like, I would love something like this right now. Yeah, I think that the unibody aluminium style will become boring and old quicker than this will. My, also, there's about something about personality and making memories. I mean, Mike, you you stick your your stickers on everything, right? Uh huh. Um, I remember, like, I never I never owned one of these because I was one of those people, one of those Power Mac people. But like I remember my blue and white G three. I remember my my graphite G four. It had some personality that you know they they those models got the plastic treatment and yep. the color treatment and all of that. Although only one color, but um, and I remember like my mom um, when she uh, when they my parents sold my uh, my childhood home and they moved into a motorhome and started traveling the country. You know she had a series of laptops over the over the years, but the first one she had was the Tangerine iBook. And I remember that. I remember that that it's Tangerine. I remember the mm-hmm. personality of that laptop because uh because of that. And I feel like Apple's designs are missing that. And the shame of it is that that uh they had it with the iPods with all the colors. And the, I feel like they're they're getting there, right? They're bringing it back slowly with the MacBook having the the color options, the four color options. I'm hoping the MacBook Pro will get that too, but boy, I would really like it if that they would if they would uh go to colors again and let people, you know what, if somebody wants to get a blue MacBook, let them get a blue MacBook. It would look great. I want a blue I, iPhone I, though. That's what I want, you know. Yeah, that's true too. And I know people can do cases and all that, but you know, the iPod taught us the anodized aluminum is beautiful. It's just like, and Apple can do it. Apple can do beautiful colored anodized aluminum shells on these things. So I would love to see more of that. I've been looking at white plastic and blue plastic for the last nearly 10 years. Yeah. You know, I would love to see a blue here or an orange here or a green. Well, and and silver and silver and and black, black glass and silver aluminum forever, right? For Mm -hmm. so long. That a little more personality. That that's something that I think I I I too take that away from from this. Stephen is is they Apple when it was not a uh, a supply chain powerhouse. Apple managed to sell iMacs in like six, seven, eight different colors. Uh, wouldn't it be nice if the Apple Lift today could could uh, could do some of that because it's fun. It's just fun to have computers with this personality. And then you remember it. Oh, that's my blue iMac, right? Instead of like, that's the latest in a series of silver laptops. <laughs> so you mentioned me and the stickers, right? And it's a, it's a bit of a joke, but that's like kind of what it is for me. These machines are my oh, yeah. machines and, and I decorate them with stickers of, of things that mean something to me or things that I enjoy. And that's why I do it because now these are like my iPads because they're decorated in my way. And I think we're, I think we're missing that now. You know, everybody has the gray one. There's definitely something to that, and you know the idea that um you know the the computer for everybody like part of that was having something that you could connect with on an emotional level, and it's funny in posting I posted a bunch of images of these things and at several emails and tweets from people saying oh yeah like I totally had a uh, you know a Ruby one in high school that my parents bought and like 
every single time I hear about anyone about the iMac they use, the color 100% of the time is in their comment. Mm-hmm. Um, because it, it, it was just so, so important to people. Yeah. Well, it's, it's important, um, to Apple's history. It they made products of personality that were important to people's lives. They reached a lot of people who Apple had never been, uh, in Apple had never made a product that was fit in their life in any way. Um, it reached into education. It reached into the home. Uh, yeah, it was, it was a uh, hugely influential product. Probably the, you know, since the original Mac, the most influential Mac that was ever made was this one. It was just a huge thing for Apple and, and the culture, um, and Apple's future was, uh, was really saved by the existence of this product. And, and yeah, when you think about it, you kind of want Apple to embrace its, uh, it's whimsical, colorful side. I don't know whether Johnny Ive like got really just sick of colors after a while or what, but uh, Macs have been monochrome for way too long. And uh, although the MacBook shades are a little bit better, and people are you know squealing over uh, the fact that there's the rose gold MacBook now, which is ever so vaguely pink, like yeah, but you haven't seen a ruby iMac, you haven't seen a tangerine <laughs> iBook. Those are serious uh, statements. It's trends, right? I mean, and that's why I think that that we have these these four colors of aluminium right now. Uh, but you know, this, this fashion is cyclical, and I think we're going to see colors come back again. And I hope that they do. Yeah, I think so. I think I think they're putting their foot in the water with those those four variations on the MacBook, and that it it will eventually be everywhere. And then they'll uh, they'll give us they'll give us some. They're 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 moving in that direction. But it, it's interesting to look back and see where we've been, and and uh, see how Apple succeeded so wildly by, uh, you know, giving people the choice of six colors of iMac. Nice plug there. I like the you should throw six colors in there. Oh yeah, I oh look at that. I didn't even you. do that on purpose, but yeah, totally. That was it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Apple historian with iMac speciality, Mr. Stephen Hackett. Thank you so much uh, for lending your thoughts and images and everything for this uh, special episode. You are continuing to chronicle your time with the family of computers that you have amassed. Where can people go to find uh, all of this interesting uh, content that you're creating? I've got it all up over at uh, 512pixels.net. And uh, you can search for that name on YouTube. i got some videos up over there as well. Yeah, I think the YouTube stuff is the best stuff. To, you know, yeah. I, I mean, I, I prefer video anyway, but you can read about these things, but you've got to see them. And you have bunches of great photos as well. We'll put those in the show notes. And it's really interesting to see. It's a very peculiar project, um, but now that you're kind of in the part where you're doing stuff with it rather than just finding it, I'm starting to see a real value in it, which I didn't expect I would initially. <laughs> uh, so it's really great. Um, we mentioned Six Colors. Go to sixcolors.com for Jason's stuff. You can find uh, Jason on Twitter. He's at Jason L, J-S-N-E-L-L. Stephen is at ISMH, uh, and he hosts Connected with me on Relay FM, and Jason and Stephen together host Liftoff if you want to learn more about space. Are there colored space rockets? Like this? Do they do this? Oh, don't don't even know. We'll, there's not enough time. Uh, we'll we'll. I'm sure we'll discuss that on a future episode of Liftoff. But we can't. We can't. We're going to start talking about the space shuttle's external tank, and it's another rabbit hole for us to go down. <laughs> you want to find the show notes for this week, which you should go and check out. Go to relay.fm/upgrade/91. Uh, we thanks again to our sponsors for this week, the fine folk over at MailRoute and FreshBooks, and we'll be back next time. 
Until then, say goodbye, guys. Happy Memorial Day. Go to the bank and give them a, a pound. Goodbye. Deposit your money quickly. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>